0: G'day, teabaggers and faux-foppers. It's Will here from Montreal. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Rove talking all about the Just for Laughs Festival. Uh, For people in Montreal... I am in Montreal and I am doing shows. I've done a few great ones already. Uh, Todd Barry and Friends last night was fantastic. Thanks to everyone who came out to that. And uh, the Super Secret Midnight Show on uh, Sunday night was one of the best fun shows I've ever had here. So uh, tonight I am doing Set List uh, with Sam Simmons, Rich Hall, Jimmy Carr. It's going to be massive. And tomorrow night I'm doing uh, Deanne Smith's uh, show, Stand Up, Strip Down. And on Saturday night I'm doing the uh, Sarah Silverman Gala uh, with uh, Tick Taro and Jimmy Carr, and it's going to be absolutely massive. So uh, if you're in town, come and check that out. Uh, I'm also coming to Washington, D.C. for the first time, uh, Friday, August the 2nd and Saturday, August 3rd uh, at Living Social's 918 F Street. Um, I'd love if uh, any Aussies in uh, Washington, D.C. came down or if you know anyone who's in town, uh, send them down. That would be fantastic. Uh, and in Australia, my Goodwill tour is now on sale. So uh, August thirty. I'm coming to Perth. It's going to be massive. Uh, Friday, September the 13th, I'm doing my first big Sydney shows for ages. I'm going to be at the Enmore Theatre. Um, That's on sale at the moment too. Uh, Thursday, September the 26th, I'm uh, in Chatswood for the first time. And uh, Thursday, October the 10th, I am coming to Canberra for one night only. So those uh, shows are on sale at the moment too. So uh, if you want to come and see some shows, support the podcast, uh, that would be Absolutely fantastic. Uh, We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed the episode. There hasn't been any great advances in prison rape or space trouble. <laughs> <laughs> the father bar the, the holy twice. <laughs> Again. Uh hello, welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson. Uh Rove McManus, guest Charlie, is here. Um a uh Montreal just for laughs yes. We're both off to that festival. Yep. Um I'm looking forward to it. Uh, what are you garlering? I'm just garlering. And uh, um who who is hosting your gar
1: I don't know that yet. all my stuff has only just come through literally in the last forty eight hours. So they're still, you know, juggling flights and stuff. So I haven't, I haven't even been given the full details of it all yet. But uh, this is only my second time. Okay. And uh, I must admit, even having done it the first time, I thought, well, that's it. I, I, I never thought I would even get to do it. It's one of those things. It's like, uh, yeah, as as you start out as as a as a comic, one of the first things I was ever really privy to when it came to international comedy was was just for laughs yep. like i remember the first time you know it, i saw you know oh god i'm trying to think of who like george wallace or um i remember seeing him for the first time at watching a, a just for laughs special um and and any, especially the American stuff, because you know, we got a lot of UK influence in Australia, but not much of the American. So every year when the Just for Laughs special would come around, you'd just see this string of, of great uh, international names. Usually American back then, but uh, I loved it. And, and it was, I don't know, so it, be, it kind of became this thing that... It's the Olympics of comedy. It is. Although it weirdly,
0: is. Uh, like the opposite of the Olympics... The Montreal Just For Last Festival has become a lot less drug addicted. (laughs) Like, it's really weird, that attitude. You go down there. Like, in fact, I was talking to Jake Johansson, whose house I'm staying in at the moment, who we've had on the podcast. And he, he just was excited I was going because I drink. He said it's so lonely for American comedians who'd like to have a drink
1: because no one drinks. They're all really serious. Yeah, they- and you, I mean, it's like anything. You hear the stories of, oh, what it used to be like. But I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel the Melbourne International Comedy Festival still has a lot of that. Like there's still, people are playing as hard as they work during that.
0: Oh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> It's Montreal- the opposite of rehab. Yeah. <laughs> The Melbourne Comedy Festival is like, we have to do our busiest month of the year, but we're also going to try to live like Charlie Sheen while we're
1: doing it. Everybody uh, tries to just get those first, you know, that first week sort of out of the way, halfway through the second week, you know. The show is bedded in now. I know what I'm saying when I get out there. I kind of have an idea of, is this season going to be a good one or a bad one? And so I don't have to care anymore. I can yeah. just I can just let loose. And,
0: and be- either way... I need to get fucked up now. <laughs> In the
1: worst, the one time I thought maybe I have a a, a problem or and and developing a drinking condition that is of concern was was during one comedy festival. were uh,
0: d- d- describing your drinking. As a drinking condition, well, it was concern.
1: the f- well because I wasn't say it wasn't an addiction. It wasn't like it was it wasn't anything like that or a dependency. It was right. just I was drinking a lot, and it was during the comedy festival to the point where you know, you'd start the night with doing shots because you go, if I just start drinking, it's going to take too long to get to where I need to. Let's just get, <laughs> let's just let's not mince words here, and it was. Really nocturnal. So yeah. you'd be out till the sun was coming up. You'd be catching public transport home with people who are obviously very well dressed and on their way to work. Yeah. And you're trying not to look like a bobblehead and then sleep till kind of noon using the Phil Donahue's and Ricky Lakes of the day to be your breakfast morning television. And then and then going out and doing it all night. And then it just got to the end of the festival that I was just like, man, I'm drinking a lot and not feeling drunk. That's a worry considering how much I am actually drinking. And so I went, well, if I had a pretty full-on month, I'll take a month off just to kind of detox. And and that actually ended up going, so that's April, so I would have been dry in May. And then that lasted till Christmas. I just kept it up for a month and then just went, oh, I'll do it again. Just wasn't drinking. And then come Christmas, I was just like, this is a really dumb idea but anyway i i got to the point where i was just like i don't think i'm ever going to get to do montreal in the same way that i i will never get to do edinburgh because i started doing stand-up but then got into television a lot earlier than i expected and before i'd really uh yeah, I knew who I was as a comic and certainly felt confident on stage as a comic, but I certainly had not branded myself as a stand-up, and then when I got into television, it was a natural evolution. And it's Most hard people you'd... probably found me through TV right. and then stand-up afterwards.
0: And what people don't understand is, as much as it's fun to go and do an Edinburgh and it's a real challenge, Like it's hard when you're doing a 40-week-a-year you know, television oh, show yeah. to go, hey, you guys... I know that everyone's job in this studio relies on me doing
1: this every week,
0: but I'm going to take a month off to go to Edinburgh and flush some money down a toilet.
1: (laughs) And knowing that that first time is going to be brutal. It always, always is.
0: Yeah. Everything's Uh, going too well. I'd like to go to a country where no one knows me. So Most people hate me because I'm from Australia (laughs) and I have to hand out flyers with my own name for a month.
1: Yeah, I'm going to completely shred any dignity i have built over the last few years to get me here. Yeah. Just to say i've done this with Can you tell
0: Will Ferrell and Matt Damon to come back in November <laughs> because i'll be in Scotland?
1: Well even when i would i i would tour and i would only get to sort of do a tour maybe once every 3 years or so because for that reason as well like doing stand up it's different with tv. It took me a while to feel comfortable having people write jokes for me. In the first year of, of doing the show, I was like, no, 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 I, I'm, I, I will write my monologue myself. And then over the years you feel more comfortable with having contributors in to the point where then everything is very collaborative. So then when I went to do uh, not my first tour, but my, my second tour, which was well and truly into my television career, about five years into it, Uh, I had all our writers on the show saying you know do you want us to write some stuff and I was like no no I need to prove to myself and to everybody else that you know not that I'm stamping it with this but just if anyone asks I want to be able to say no this is my stuff and the amount of people who would say to me "Oh, so like doing interviews so what made you want to go back to stand-up you like, it's not going back to it it's always been there I just when you do 40 weeks a year of live television the idea of you know even getting out to do a couple of club gigs a week, let alone a full run or like you say go to Edinburgh for a month, it's just not going to happen. So then when the show finished, like the first year I was I was uh, out, uh, got the call saying you know we'd like you to come and do Montreal, and I was just like holy shit, okay that's fantastic. So I did a show that year, did just a thirty minute uh, show, and and the gala. And got to do it with um, Steve Martin. Oh, really? Which was so extraordinary. Wow. Because when I turned up and I I didn't know what it was like. And for anyone who's either not been or is not even in in our business, it's kind of like a conference. It's like a comedy conference. Right. Where during the day, there's talks and seminars and it's all kind of based out of this hotel that everybody's booked in. There's
0: an industry address?
1: Yeah. It's, you know, people give... Talks And so like I would go and uh, like the guys, the funny or die guys did uh, like the Q and a session. There were, uh, all these writers from all these different late night shows were there. And um, which was um, uh, chaired by Bill Carter, who wrote the, um, uh, the late, night TV, the late night TV wars and desperate networks and uh, all that kind of stuff. So that was fascinating. So you do that during the day, if you choose to, Then you either go and watch a show or perform your show that night. And most people have got gigs on to do. And uh, anyways, and so they like a conference, they have an office and you go there and they give you all the stuff that's on during the day and you get your little pass and they say, if you need any tickets to shows, let us know. However, if you want a ticket to the Steve Martin Gala, don't even ask. We just can't. Everyone wants one. And it was very cool to be able to turn around and go, well, I don't have to because I'm on that one. Yeah.
0: They said, well, you still need a ticket. Okay, yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Should I just go over here, just yeah. go over here? It's $1,500 a spot.
1: But I, uh, I'd I never done... <laughs> they give you an invoice. I, I didn't know how the galas worked either. Right. And I assumed that there would be, there's two halves. Yes. Most shows, there's a break in the middle. Uh-huh. Just when there's so many people on, it just sort of helps. So uh, when I was finding out where I was, they said, you're second on after the The Okay. So I'm thinking intermission interval, you know, we'll be back after this house lights come up. So uh, they get everybody into your show clothes before it starts and you record a few promos because this thing plays all over the world. So you do one generic one and one for your home country in the outfit you're going to wear on stage. And then most people, uh, because I'm not on in my head till the second half. Yeah. So I got changed again because I thought I want to, you know, wreck my good show clothes. So I took them off again, thinking I've probably still got two hours to go. Most people kept theirs on, but a couple of them I was like, well, yeah, they're on early, or you know, maybe it's just what they want, they, they feel comfortable with. But I had a suit, and I didn't, I didn't want to. So then um, at one point I went side of stage and watched Steve Martin. He was on with his um, the, the Canyon Rangers. His Um, bluegrass group playing a song so they're just sort of playing and i'm watching them and they did maybe two songs or something like that and uh, so i watched that and it was great and then uh, they brought the next act out and uh i went backstage again because it's easier to sort of watch it on the monitor and i was watching and then just suddenly had this realization of oh that's the guy who's on the list before me and i turned to someone and said oh is that uh have they changed the order around and uh, the response was no no and I said oh so wait a minute so am I after him and they went yeah and I said I thought there was going to be a break and they said there was the music break that was the music break that Steve did with his band I was like so is there like an actual break where the audience goes and you know gets more drinks and chocolates and goes to the toilet no 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 right so I'm up next yeah and I'm not dressed no I was like, did any, was anyone going to say anything Right. And my manager, my US manager, who was very new at the time, this was yeah. our first kind of yeah. little date together, Right. was going, I said, why didn't anybody fucking say anything? And he said, well, I don't know. He said, I thought... I just thought this is how you got ready for you, a gig. You know, and I asked your Australian manager right. and he said, he look, he's fine. pretty chilled. Yeah. He's done a lot of live work. You know, sometimes I've even seen him, you know, talking backstage right up to the last second right. and then he walks out.
0: You're, Often he likes to put his suit on while he's being introduced. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I've just suddenly gone, fuck. So in my head, right. I'm going right. We do get... I wear
0: the clothes you're wearing right now, exactly. or do I get changed?
1: And going, we've got seven minutes on stage. Yeah. This guy's probably done. I want to say two, just for safety. Yeah. I've got about five minutes to go, get changed, out of what I'm wearing into a suit, and get into my position, ready to go. Yeah. And did Luckily, it. But your in a... dressing room was a phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> in a mad panic, and just. Complete, like, my head is just completely out of the game now. Right. I'm just lost. I'm sweating. Because the last
0: thing you fuck. want to do before you go on stage is be all stressed and tense.
1: You want, and I was so in the zone. Yeah. I was like, I feel good I'm about relaxed. my stuff. You've tested it all week. Ready to go. I'm going to impress Steve Martin. This will be great. Yeah. I know my shit works. And then suddenly just going, holy fuck, I'm not going to be ready. Or I'm just, I'm frazzled. Got myself backstage and just said to everyone, just get out of my way, get out of my way. And made it there in time for the last guy to finish. And Steve comes out, just does a back announce. I think did one or two jokes very quickly. And then started the intro. And I just had a moment where I said to myself, this is it. Like, this may not ever happen again. Here you are. Like, take the moment and don't let everything that's happened before fuck you up. This, you're about to go out onto the stage at Montreal, you've always felt that you would do well here, that this is a good sort of audience for you, and here's your chance to show that. And uh, thankfully they decided for something different, they were gonna bring me down a, se- a couple of steps. So I had the time to walk out, come down these steps, and there was some music playing. And the whole time I'm sitting there going, now, I was toying with the idea of opening and, and intentionally mispronouncing Montreal just for fun right. and calling it Montreal uh, and just going, <laughs> should I do that? Should I not do that? I have not done that at all up until this point. Oh, you point. haven't
0: practiced it that Haven't way. done
1: it. Haven't done that anywhere. But something in my brain is going, that might be fun. And then just. So that's what you
0: should do when you're finally doing this thing. Because you also have to put in your script and stuff for these gigs. They want to know exactly what you're going to say. In fact, months before, you have to give them the sense of it will come from. This material. And yeah. you're just like, nah, fuck it. I'm going yeah. to improv. start.
1: Yeah. And like what part of your brain just goes, put that out there. Cause if it doesn't work, you'll be fine after that. I the first, the first thing out of your mouth, make right. it a, an each way bet. Make
0: it something that <laughs> might be terrible. And if it doesn't go well,
1: insults their
0: town and their yeah.
1: audience. If anything, there's more chance that it won't go well. Right. Either they'll get it straight away. <clears throat> Let's ignore that for a second. Right. Our other two options are they they still get it, but they don't think it's funny. Or they sit there going, did he intentionally right. call us Montreal? Does he he's know a, that's how it's not pronounced? He's got a weird accent. Maybe I, it's maybe it's a accent. thing. And it's just confusion. Yeah. So uh, I'm still going, should I still do that or not do that when I hear my name introduced? And I'm walking down the steps, still a bit frazzled, and they were playing this music that had this weird kind of beat to it. And so as I was making my way down the steps, I kind of ended up, you know, jumping to the beat. And then the audience started clapping along to the beat. So then as I'm taking my moment to walk out to the center of stage to the microphone, I started just sort of stomping my foot like a little jig thing. So then they kept going and then they started speeding up. So then I started speeding up and speeding up until it was just like this huge round of applause sort of thing. And then uh, I said... uh, I said something about, oh, is that just something you guys do? Like, oh, oh ha ha ha, let's make the Australian die of a heart attack by making him dance to death, and uh, it it was a nice little icebreaker. Right. Perfect. So Cause then, because you're because they've invited you in, yeah, they've started. It, it. was a great little moment where right. you go, even though this is probably the most important stand up gig I will ever do, right. and I know that this airs everywhere. Uh, there's still this little something that the audience is going. This is not part of the plan. This is this was not in that script that he sent out. Right.
0: And yeah. Imagine if it was. Uh, if the band can play something
1: jaunty. <laughs> jaunty. And then, uh, as a quick side note, afterwards, uh, as you know, I'll get to that after. So then I've come, I've come out, and then so that kind of worked as a nice little icebreaker. So then I just go and oh, fuck it, and I went Montreal. And they laughed and I I followed up with a, I'm pretty sure that's what you call it. And then got into it. So what went to where was from Montreal. Yeah. But what you don't see is the dancing the jig thing till I nearly collapse. So right from the get go, I have just got sweat. Oh, right. From the nerves, the frantic backstage stuff to dancing this jig. So right from the get go, I'm dripping with sweat and I'm on this adrenaline high. And it went really, really well. But then afterwards when I... Uh, There's I, I people back in drunk,
0: Australia going, Hey, Rove's uh, doing really well uh, overseas. And I think he's addicted to heroin.
1: <laughs> he did that comedy festival hit him really, really badly. He rebounded badly.
0: He was off the drinks until Christmas, <laughs> but I feel like he might be taking heroin.
1: Yeah, that's how, that's how you stay off the alcohol is to pick up some real hard street drugs. Wow. Well, Kids. It's hard to drink when you're asleep. <laughs> Having to be revived <laughs> by a medical team, and but it went so well. It went to the point where when I got backstage afterwards, uh, and was talking to my manager about it, and he said that went really well, and he said that bit at the top was really good, and he said so. He said I noticed you weren't doing that, you know, in the lead up to it. He said, "Oh, is that just something you do as like your warm up for your show, like your TV show and stuff?" And I said, "No, that was just the- never done it before." He thought that was a piece of music that I gave to them yeah. to go, this is my little thing that I do. And so he was a little dumbfounded as to how someone who was running around screaming like a, a complete frantic chicken beforehand, a chicken looking for a suit, uh, was able to come out and just and be chilled about it. But um, I loved it. I, I enjoyed it and intentionally went, you know, there's a routine that I haven't done for maybe five years. It's very old stuff, but I know it's gonna work well here. And, you know, if you're gonna burn something, you may as well burn something that you're not using anymore anyway and uh and i really enjoyed it so it was one of those things i thought well that was it it went well walk away fantastic and so the idea that i've I'd been asked back is something i never would have thought was going to happen so right people are going to be, be devastated when you don't do that bit they've all been do the jig
0: that. right to for the, a year.
1: do the Montreal
0: bit. Imagine if you get back there and you like you have become a massive star in Montreal based on the legend of this jig. And so every gig you go to, people are just sitting there like, is he going to do it?
1: It'll be like um, he do it? Eddie Izzard when he did his first, I think he did Comic Relief or something. And no one knew who he was. And I think yeah. he opened the night and did this routine about being raised by wolves, which went so well. Nobody remembered his name. And he had to then perform for the next however many months or years uh, with Eddie Izzard, the guy that did, in, in quotes, the guy that did the wolf bit, raised by wolves bit at Comic Relief. So that'll be me. Right. He's the jig guy. Yeah, right. The Montreal, T-R-E-E-L, right. uh, jig guy.
0: You should go to Montreal next year with your own show and you should, you should call it Rove Meek uh Jiggers with Attitude. Getting jiggy with it. Getting jiggy with <laughs> it.
1: I, um, I will chase you for uh, pun names with, with jigs in it. That's going to be my new goal is to every year have a new j- jig-inspired comedy show name. The Jig is up. <laughs> like, oh! <laughs> I like that. He's good.
0: Uh, so I have, have done the festival a few times over the years. So I'm not sure what festival this is for me. It might have be been... In- How was your first one? So, do you remember your first one? Well, I think this may be the sixth time I've been. So it, some of it blurs a little bit together. Sure. But I do remember when I first went. I feel like last time was the first time I really nailed it. it was at a level where I felt like... I, I, up until then, I was kind of a bit like, I'm not quite at this level yet, mm-hmm. you know? Whereas last time I went, I went, I reckon I can be as funny as anyone who's on this line-up tonight. And... And... Uh, And, you know, and then this time going back, because I haven't been back for three years because I've had other commitments at the same time, um, I've got kind of three years of, you know, what I consider to be my best shows. It's only seven minutes. I feel like I want to go back and, like, I look at the set that did really well last time I was there and Mm -hmm. I feel like the set that I'm taking this time is so much better than that material and I feel like I'm a better comedian, you know. Mm -hmm. Just having the experience of, like, headlining clubs here in the US and stuff, you know, previously when I went to Montreal, even though it's a Canadian festival, it, you see it through the idea of America because it's America's, you know, the industry's festival. Yeah. Right? So you would always be like, well, will this stuff work in America? Does my stuff work? You know, and I think in the past I did too much of trying to change my act to suit what I thought was would work for America. Whereas now having done a bunch of gigs here, I realized that I can just do my stuff and People get that. Mm-hmm. People respond to that. So I think I'll go back to it this year with a really different attitude of like. I feel like I've got a pretty solid set that I can do, and but because I you feel have like been
1: headlining and and uh, you you do a new you you have a new hour every year to then go right. You have to pick seven minutes. Not only just pick that seven minutes, but you have to perform in seven minutes. Right. Like there's no fucking around, warm up, get yourself into it, Um, here's my opening gag, and then I sort of lead into this and that. Like to try to find in, like you're saying, if you haven't been there in three years, you've got at least three hours, probably more of stuff. To try to find seven minutes and then perform in seven minutes is the part that i find very difficult
0: i mean it, it, you were it, it was interesting what you were saying about like the jig because honestly something like that is the greatest thing that could happen just yeah. some nice moment at the start so you don't have to
1: get them yeah you know because, that's so, all because otherwise it's like hey how's everyone doing you right. all good because you don't want to launch straight into it
0: oh and that first joke you know <sighs> like I mean, I'm finding it really interesting because I I feel like there is a bit that should start, but it doesn't have, like, the the best... It's a a build joke. Like, even though it's like a minute, a minute and a half. Like, the first 30 seconds is really set up and then it, like, is pretty punchline heavy after that. Sure. But, which is fine when you don't do that joke first. But you know what it's like, you know, as a comedian. Like, this is an insight into the mind of the comedian. From walking out on stage introduced by Steve Martin at the world's biggest comedy festival so obviously something's gone right right? (laughs) people are cheering in between there and 30 seconds into your first joke when you haven't had a big laugh you can reassess your entire career
1: true very true like if
0: you're there just going like I've got to have the confidence that you know don't worry well the weird thing is because 30 seconds to you seems like a lot longer than it does to the audience
1: oh yeah and even in the in the lead up to to doing your gala spot they intentionally book you in all these little club gigs and stuff so you just run through your material it's as much for you as it is for them so they get to see it and they can you know there's what there'll always be one in particular and i'm just going from this one experience i had where they go all right this is the one that we are watching yeah to go and really for i don't know is there any references that won't won't translate here. References or, that
0: won't translate. Tone and content for the television. Balance of the gala. So exactly.
1: They have a sense of you know. Oh well, um, someone else has got that topic. Yeah. But the way you're t- uh, tackling it and your your. Um, I and mean, you're far enough apart the line up or exactly. Yep. so So, uh, most of the the little club spots and stuff I did, I was trying to do my gala spot, and they're not always made for this. No. And I learned, I got to the point where I just went <laughs> and it was, it was going okay. It was going okay. And there was just that A lot of them are me.
0: at a comedy club at midnight. They want to see oh. some bloke say fuck. And, and it's fucking
1: rowdy. They right. get some of them are and really rowdy. And they're saying, we they want so. you to do your stuff. And yeah. you're going, no. and I can't. Thankfully, I, I'm experienced enough. This is probably one of the benefits of getting there so late in my career is that I, I was like, you know what? I know this is going to work from watching this gala for years and years and years growing up with it and I, I feel i know this audience and i feel i know this platform and i've chosen this piece of material specifically for that and there's something in me that always just went if ever i get to i reckon this is the one i'm going to use so just l- know that it will work trust that it will work don't judge it on these club gigs and stuff because you wouldn't do this in clubs anyway. No. Or if you did, it would be buried in amongst a whole lot of other stuff. So uh, just instead do do what you would normally do in a club, especially if you've only got five minutes or seven minutes. I would just kind of fuck around, maybe do a couple of jokes, but then you just kind of play with what's happening in the room and what the person before you has just said or whatever. So uh, I was confident enough to not test it, because I thought if you keep running this every time, you will start to think this is not going to work on the night. When you know there's something in you that just says, this this will work, this is the routine to do, and it, and it will work. And I did add a something else, something newer on the end of it, just to give them something that had a bit more bite than what I was planning on doing, and sure enough, they cut it out anyway.
0: <laughs> so uh, no, they just repackaged that. There's another clip going around uh, a lot of shows you haven't seen, which is uh, 45 seconds of you doing a jig. <laughs> and
1: then that closer. It should be just a little meme, just a right. little jigging meme. Uh, but yeah, it's a jig jiff. But what, what I'm what I'm doing this year is is a real slow burn. Like it's, and I have been testing it as an opener, which it would not normally be. It would sort of sit somewhere you know, towards the end, or yeah, you know, it's one of those bits you sort of bookend it. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I've I've had to use it as an opener because I need to know is is it going to work? Does it work, does from, it scratch. work from scratch? Yeah. And it is a slow burn, but it, it unintentionally has built to having a big payoff at the end that was just written as a very. Uh, I'm not very proud of it sort of throw away that'll do as a punchline for now and I'll come back to it or that's the punch that's the the punchline for this part and then we continue on from there has now ended up becoming just because people will not stop enjoying it it's it's like (laughs) it's like Jerry Seinfeld talks about in in the documentary Comedian which I highly recommend for anyone who hasn't seen it him you know starting out his material again and building up a new a new uh, show stand-up show and there's a bit that's i think it's only on the dvd in the special features it's like a little deleted scene where it's him and a group of other stand-ups sitting around and talking about uh creating a joke and and jerry says it's like you're a mother bird and you know you've got jokes that you you love and others that you know you're not as as close to and he says it's like being a mother bird and you've got this little bird and you've hatched it from an egg and you've fed it you know with your own you know, like a, with an eyedropper kind of thing and you massaged its little wings and you've taken special care with it and then you throw it from the nest and it just drops like a <laughs> stone. And he said, then you've got this other bird that's not even a bird. It's a hamster in a bird costume. And you're a little bit embarrassed about it. And you're just embarrassingly You just kind of kick it out of the nest, hoping no one notices. And it soars like an eagle. He said, that's what writing jokes are like. And it's, it's very much true. like that. And this is one of those hamster, bird-dressed hamster jokes. I'm just yeah. like, well. But if it works, it works. But my only and that's the confidence I have in delivering it is it's a slow burn there's no major laugh per se there's not like a, a bang opening uh, gag the first laugh comes from you know a bit of an admission more than anything else and the hope is that it just gets a reaction and then and then we're kind of away uh and but I know that the payoff it, it always works it just builds to this crescendo and then you go bang and, and it works so uh, it'll be interesting to see how doing a longer it's it's pretty much one piece they do say uh can you write out your topics and i've kind of really got one topic and i've tried to split it into like well i'm talking about three different things which i'm not really no. um but I, uh yeah. this is
0: my one story wackiness in shoes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think, I don't know if this was the first time I ever did it, but if it was not the first time, it was the second time. And both of them were much earlier on, sort of, in my career. Um, So I was very nervous. I think back then, in particular, that festival, to me, had a great deal of mystique about it. Like, you know, very much like you were saying, like it, it felt like to me as someone who wanted to be and has always wanted to be an international comedian that part of that was if you could be good at Montreal, that put you amongst, Mm -hmm. you know. I I mean, you know, I remember sitting there and watching, you know, Mitch Hedberg, you know, on Montreal. And I mean, fuck, I remember the first year I did Montreal. I think this was definitely the first year I did Montreal. Dane Cook was doing his first Montreal. Right. And then it was like, you know, fucking one year later, he was Dane Cook, you know, playing Madison Square Gardens and, you know, debuting at number two on the Billboard charts with his album and all this ridiculous, you know... Like, you know, it was a festival that, you know, made people like, and so you, you you were intimidated by it. So this may have been the first year I was there. It probably was because it sticks in my mind. So um, Tim Allen was mm-hmm. hosting the gala that I was doing, Tim the Tool Man, Allen, and he had just got back into stand up a bit, like after the great success of Home Improvement. So um, he didn't really care. Oh, really? Like, he just... He didn't really care about... Like, he was just taking the cheque and phoning it in. Ah. And, like, yeah, he wasn't back. He wasn't sharp. He didn't give a fuck, you know? And um, Carl Barron, the Australian comedian, was also on the gala that I was on. And for whatever reason, because we're both Australian, I suppose, they got the intros Uh mixed up. And, like fucking tim like taylor tim the fucking tool man taylor fucking tim allen has obviously just he's never done a rehearsal does not give a fuck sure. right? and so he's just reading the intros off like he's gonna an go, out and, he's just gonna
1: go oh, 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 and then walk off right. done. but what, what he
0: thinks is hilarious to do is like read the intro but like because he's reading it for the first time he just stops down on points of interest and just like riffs about them yeah. So you're standing in the wings like oh ready to go God. hoping that the intro is going to take like 30 seconds right and so you can just get out there and do your thing and instead he like he's like because your
1: heart it. starts pumping from our next performer
0: right bang
1: and then he's decided,
0: oh I wanna just play with this a little bit. Well, here's the best thing though, he's not even using my intro. It's fucked Barron. around my intro and Carl Barron's intro. <laughs> and Carl Barron has like on his intro, I don't know, they've picked his Australian intro or whatever. So it says things like, he's a regular on comedy shows on channel seven and channel nine. And so Tim Ellen starts to go into this like what? They have like channel seven and channel nine and that does this whole roof about how stupid they are as names for channels. So his intro of me, cause then they finally realized they were doing the wrong intro. So then he did a whole bit about that. And then they started doing my intro, which was very impressive then by the time you've done <laughs> someone else's intro and then fucked it up. Uh, his entire intro of me took more time than my set. Wow. Yeah. And I, I was it if... working? Was No, he... no, no, it was terrible. It oh. was like, it was like watching someone like crash it into the ground and then go,
1: can you get this back up in there? This is your first day at work, but yeah, you you you'll you fix this. You'll fix this. You'll fix this. Uh, The irony of you having to fix something for the tool man,
0: right? Yeah, he walked off stage, gave me a shovel, and said good luck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which is the other thing they do tell you: do not reference Uh anything in your intro, even you know, do not acknowledge the person that just welcomed you on stage because you might end up cut. That person might not even be in your telecast.
0: Well this is what I was gonna ask you about Steve Martin was did you get to actually meet him? Because He was
1: so good. We were all sort of nervously sort of looking around backstage, all kind of going, Should we ask? Should we do we wanna and he because he was MCing, like he he was on the other side of the stage to where most of us would sort of walk on, walk off. He would come on from one side and everyone else would walk on from the other side. So there's no sort of crossover. But um, he afterwards came backstage, congratulated everybody on a job well done, and happily posed for photos with everybody. Oh, that's It was good. like a little line of us. Just the performers. It's not like everyone else was he, was... he was very good at saying each of the guys who, who got up and girls, it, he would have a photo with us, which was, which was great. So um, for mine, I think there was a weird double flash on the camera. So he was smiling for the shot but then the second flash went off which was the real flash so he looks like he's on his way to do something else (laughs) or someone or it's like he's he's like the baby at the shopping center sort of set up and they've got a little stuffed animal that they're just waving outside of his eye line to kind of stop him from crying for his photo with me he looks slightly distracted but it's good it's him so i'll keep it uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens this year. Because also the year I went, one of the reasons why they were saying, oh, that was the, that was obviously the one to do and it was a great one to be part of, was one of the other hosts was Pamela Anderson. Oh. And surprise, surprise, apparently that night did not go very well.
0: People weren't lining up at a comedy festival to see their
1: favourite Yeah, there before. was no... Look, if you want a ticket to the Pamela Anderson right. Gala, just okay. obviously not going to happen. But what was interesting was talking to someone who was part of that gala and they said as the night wore on like it just got worse and worse for her she was the audience just was switching off more and more she was not very good not surprisingly <laughs> but the, every time she kept coming back there was just right. no way she was ever going to win that crowd right. over so you're meant... saying that quantity wasn't the answer exactly right. but what happened was every performer who came out did well did really well because the crowd was like, thank you, yeah. someone who knows Here's what they're comedy. doing, this is what we want now. As opposed to what we had, which was we, we were all like, are we going to be completely overshadowed by the host of this event? Where any one of the rest of us is right. just like, eh, I don't know you, bring out This Steve guy doing Martin. the jig's good, but it'd be good if Steve Martin was doing that jig. And then he started introducing me as Carl Baron, and yeah. I was like, "What? <laughs> this is... Yeah, I mean,
0: that's part of the joy of doing those festivals is you hope that you... Because over the years, I mean, I did. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg hosted one that I did, mm-hmm. and I got to meet her doing that. And John Cleese hosted one that I did, and I got to meet him doing that. So it is kind. Of, it can be that opportunity to meet that
1: person who is. So oh, legendary. and it's it's one of those great pinch me moments to have. Like I don't really have them all that much. Uh, well you know I, I get them from time to time but you know we're both at a point in our careers and stuff where most of the things that you set yourself to do or ever wish to do you've had the chance to do and anything else from here on in is just kind of icing on the cake right but it was like i remember like that was and if one of those one thing we
0: endorse on this show it is cake icing. it is very so, much cake
1: yeah and the icing for sure yeah but every now and again, it's nice to just kind of have a reset where you go. There still is something where I can go. Oh yeah, this validates me, and I've I've made it. Even if, you, of course, you've made it to get there. But this thing of going, I did well, and I reckon I was in the top however many of what was on on the night, and uh, got to perform on the same night as Steve Martin, and and held my own, and you know was not best, but. I reckon I was I was certainly up there, and I can walk away going on an international stage at the Just for Last Festival. I can walk away going job well done, you, you've earned it, you've made it. And I remember, I do remember the first time I ever had that feeling was doing. I did the last Good News Weekend. Oh, yeah. I think it was Good News Week, uh-huh. Good News Weekend. So this was still I was probably only a couple of years into having moved over to Perth. And at the end of the night, um, they got everybody uh, on stage to go out. And, you know, I'm probably going to say there was confetti cannons, probably, maybe. I think uh, Ted Robinson, if if anyone's ever
0: watched any of his shows over the years, in about 1960, bought steaks in a confetti (laughs) factory. And he's just been using confetti uh, cannons
1: ever since. Absolutely. Yeah. But it was... uh, So, host... Uh, Paul McDermott has walked out and then he sort of beckoned to both sort of teams to sort of come out and everybody lined up and took a bow while the audience applauded and I looked across and I was looking at Flacco, Sandman, Paul McDermott, Wendy Harmer, Mikey Robbins Uh, who else was there Uh, I want to say Gene Kitson Uh, but anyway I was just looking at people that I remember like, these were the people I watched on the big gig. Yeah. This was that sort of graduating class. Which would have also of, had
0: glitter cannons because it was Ted Robbins. Yes, it was.
1: Yeah. They had a lot of those. God, they had giant inflatable cockatoos that would spew confetti. Yeah. Of course they did. Why wouldn't they? But it was one of those things of going, wow, in this audience's mind, I'm in equal line with these guys and as we all take a bow, yeah, you, you should stand there with them. And that was one of those moments where I went, oh, well, that to me was... You're here now. You, it's now up to you to stay here or move ahead, but you're you're in. The door is open, and it's now up to you to walk through it or let it slam behind you.
0: What if your Montreal set had gone so well, like it had been the best gig you've ever done in your life, would you have then in the future always got changed 30 seconds before your set? Like, would you have got in? Like, yes. You know, maybe it's the adrenaline of...
1: I tell you what, if I hadn't have done like 10 years of live television and 15 years of, of stand-up up until that point. I doubt I would have had, I don't know what I would have done, I would have had a fucking meltdown. Because even then I'm thinking, at the very worst, I will walk out and I will say, I'm sorry everyone, I'm a little bit rattled because you'll never guess what just happened. And my first couple of minutes would be just saying what just happened. Funny and funny thing cr- happened to me
0: on the way to the start. <laughs>
1: And it really did cross my mind yeah. until I thought, you know what, they don't give a fuck. They probably don't know that it's real and you're here now and it's not like they introduced you and there was a, 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 a lapse in time and then you quickly came scrambling onto the stage. So... Uh, but i can certainly say that adrenaline rush i just rode that the whole way through and if i was a bit more relaxed i don't know if it would have gone as well so i would certainly have uh from now on i will make sure that um that i do not take note of when i'm on yeah and i will just if you're seeing me backstage and they're they've actually introduced me the jig music is playing and i'm backstage in tracksuit pants eating a packet of doritos just, just know I know what I'm doing
0: either that or you need Tim Allen to host every gala because you've got a good <laughs> 7 or 8 minutes while he's flopping yeah, about is that
1: me? oh fucking up your intro I'll just drive back to the hotel get changed have a shower come back yeah in that order get changed then have a shower because yeah. i got time to dry off yeah. by the time he's ready to go <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: we should finish up in a minute because uh, we were going to keep this one tight uh so uh, you can catch us in Montreal. Yes. Uh, look around the Just for Last Festival. Um, they don't necessarily announce like lineups for the little gigs around town until like on the day sometimes. Mm. But yeah, we'll probably end up doing a, a couple of those gigs. And certainly and set lists. I list. know no, we're, we're both
1: on for that. And I th- yeah. So so there's that. But it's uh, it'll be uh, I'll be there for the last week of July. I um, had a uh, little. Um, <laughs> Here we go. I uh, it, wait, wait, let, let me fill in the blank. Kitten. I had a, a, kitten. A midget, I had a little kitten. A little person. I had a little. <laughs> a little. Uh,
0: stroke. <laughs> uh, well, I went to watch Sam Simmons do set list at Nerdmel.
1: Which can be like having a stroke meltdown.
0: And uh, it was great. Uh, Kamal was on. A really, it was a really strong lineup. Mark Maron dropped in. And so like, it was really nice to just go and watch the show, like sit there. I'd done it with Bobcat Goldthwait the week mm-hmm. before. So like, you know, you're kind of like, I'm just going to sit and enjoy it tonight. I'm not going to have to worry about going on, on the show. And then at the end, I had a little bit of time left and they came to me and said, hey, do you want to get up and, and go on and do set list? So I did like a little set, just a couple of topics. <laughs> and that's what it was like when we're having the discussion. Because they're like, do you want to do a set? And I'm like... I'm not not on tonight. Like, I don't want to be that person who comes down and then has the go on. They go, "Oh, we have got a little time. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't... I mean, only if you've got time for me. And they go, just have a little set. Just a couple of topics. And I'm like, I'll just have a couple of topics. So you do one topic
1: and then it's straight into my big closer. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Uh, I accidentally did... uh, uh, Seven topics? Where um, it was going well. And... In playing with the premise of yep. this is my normal routine and I, I was on the last topic which you know because we'll say my big closer which is your and the audience's way of knowing you yeah, know this is it and then i just as a as a throwaway joke just within the little uh, fictional bubble of well this is my regular set um just went you know you've been such a great crowd i'm gonna i'm gonna keep going i'm gonna keep going so they thought Backstage, oh, he's like, he's wanting more. Oh, right. And so they put up another topic. And so I meant, as in, that's my closer topic is going to be an encore kind of thing that I wouldn't normally do. So I had done, I had addressed the topic and and made a joke, and they just thought, well, that was enough. I had more I was going to go with. And then they changed it on me. So I just thought, oh, something's fucked up the count is wrong it wasn't time for my last one or whatever reason they've gone with another one and so I just did that one and then just kept because I just went well there's no big closer thing so I just did another one and then they just until eventually I was I think I looked over and they realized oh he wasn't wanting to do more so then they put it up so I ended up doing like seven or something and uh then afterwards I said oh we thought yeah you wanted to just keep going we we're going to do another another 5 I was like fucking no way I, had I did one, the, I did the TV tapings and I did 10 you do 10 no, I think it was 12 in one night Right that's that makes your brain work So I had
0: work. my first one where I like fucked up the as in like there's no wrong or right way to yeah, yeah, do yeah, it yeah. but where I realized the joke that I was building wasn't what Like most people were reading the topic, you know? Like sometimes you do that on purpose. But I think it was like, it was called uh, 1500K abstinence uh-huh. or something. So I was doing this whole thing about this relay of people who had to hold on to their, like, you know, they were, they had to be erect. It was, it was curing something. <laughs> they had to be erect, but they weren't having sex. And it was like a relay where they would walk across the country. And then they, like, it was all like a relay. You'd hold each other's, anyway, whatever. That was the whole thing. And cause I was doing like 1500 kilometers. Sure. And then I've like got to the whole thing. And I'm like, why are they not getting in? Why not? And then I'm like, ah, oh, I'm in America. It's Miles. Oh, this makes no sense. Like, they're not looking at 1,500K as common. So kilometers. then how
1: do, you, how do you get
0: out of that? Oh, then I just did a whole bit about that, about how it hadn't been caught on in America because of the name and not changing it because of the metric no, system. And I had one of
1: those ones. It's only ever happened to me once. I knew it would, you know, the law of averages would catch up with me, where you, know, you can either blag on something until you sort of hit the right track or you just kind of verbally go through what's in your head. And the process happens in front of the audience until, again, you kind of find where it is. Uh, and you know, for those rare times, you straight away go, "Ah, I know exactly where I'm going with this one." I had one of those ones where I was just like, "I'm just, uh, I'm just I don't quite have anything. I'll just start, and we'll see where we end up." And then uh, just started to snowball on something that was kind of okay. And I was getting by and it was all right. I'd done well up until that point. So you kind of go, yeah, you know, you, as I've always said to anybody, you're never going to nail all, all of them. Right. On, on a night where you go, that was great, you'll get three out of five. But uh, I'd never had this before. I was midway through and just went, oh, no, you know what would be better than this complete <laughs> thing that I brought up? Now that I think of it, yeah. you know, and there was no way of, well, I'll now guide Set this like to this where. And, yeah. It was and like a choose your own adventure. So I, yeah. You had to go back. And I, and I opened the page that went the end and I quickly shut it and went, no, I didn't. I that didn't was go not, this way. I didn't was, go this that way. Was, that, was, that wasn't what I wanted. Way. And then dropped the book and picked it back up again. So I had to do a complete, oh, you know what would be completely better than this? Uh, and pulled the ripcord on it, which I would prefer not to do, but. Sometimes the Doctor uh, Who Big Friendly Button We all need it
0: I like I think the audience uh, How did you uh, feel like Doctor Who
1: finished up? Oh yes We haven't talked about that I um, I re-watched the entire season yes. again, And I Can say that I was Probably harsher on it Than I could have Should have been But I thought Bells and John opened really well um, uh, Rings of Akaten Was Bad Yeah um, Cold War Really liked it. Um, was very, very disappointed with the last line. They should have cut that out, the whole, oh, I found where the TARDIS is. It's at the pole. Hooray. I meant the South Pole. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's, ha, 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 back down into the sub. You're like, wait a minute. So how did we get it? How did we get back there? No, don't do that. Um, and then what was next? That's um, from the
0: new series, Doctor, <laughs>
1: Dr. Wuh. <laughs> 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 Dr. Wuh. <laughs> 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 Uh, and uh, uh, Hyde yeah was was good nice little scary thing yep. don't know the whole you know this is actually your it got a bit convoluted more than it needed to at the end but I liked it especially because that was the first one they shot with Jenna Louise Coleman and uh, crimson horror, meh, The Tom Tom joke. Someone deserves to be shot, and you know who you are, Mark Gaddis, for writing that joke. <laughs> uh, and uh, nightmare and so- uh, journey to the center I, of the you Tardis. Know, just was... by the way, the
0: Tom Tom joke. I couldn't when I was watching it. It was like one of those moments where you're like, I can't tell whether that's great or I hate that. Yeah. You know, like because with something like that, you're like, oh, that's no, that's not great.
1: No. I like that. And again, watching it again, I was like, no, no, no. no. Um, uh, Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS was. It, it would have been better if they could have put more of the budget that they maybe spent on Akaten to have all these incredible creatures to make that what we probably would have all liked it to have been but uh, but you know nice that we went there uh, Nightmare in Silver was much better the second time around than I thought it was the first time around uh, and uh, the name of the doctor was spectacular. I right. loved it.
0: It came home strong. I thought came home serious. very
1: strong. But there's something to be said for Stephen Moffat concentrating on the 50th anniversary and getting the latest season of Sherlock up and happening. Yeah. You can see where he maybe wasn't as across this season overall as he normally would be. And when he was, geez, it was it was right in the in the pocket. So my hope is him concentrating on the 50th is going to it, he will he will do it justice. So, uh, I don't know what that means. What,
0: what do you think the, the, what's the new doctors? What's the, the,
1: well, my theory is, uh, the John hurt doctor. Yes. So the name of the doctor is not his real name. I can, uh, uh sympathize or, or connect with it on the fact that my name is not Rove. It's John, mm. but I connect with the Rove part more than, anything else. Right. And and so the doctor... Well, a lot of people is, don't know
0: that the doctor had to change his name after having identity stolen. He did. Yeah. The psychic
1: paper, well, right. it could have been anything. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I think because we never saw Paul McGann turn into Christopher Eccleson. Yes. And uh, when we first see Eccleson in uh, Rose, there's a scene where he looks in the mirror and he grabs his ears and kind of looks at himself and he goes, oh, I've had worse, which says... Suggests he's fresh from a regeneration post time war, so I'm guessing that it's somewhere in between there He had to do something that well we know all the Time Lords got wiped out as well as the Daleks and everybody else post time war So it's probably something the doctor did to completely sacrifice everything But not in what the spirit of the name of the doctor represents and that's when this one was kind of taken out of the Timeline, but I think that might be too obvious because it does mean that somewhere there's a doctor uh nine of seven eight a which is kind of weird that which sort of the idea of matt smith is not officially 11 i think is kind of a bit weird so i'll be interested to see where they go i love it it. (laughs) but much like the clara thing i had ideas it was not oh she's going to jump into this scar in time and be splintered all through his his entire life story so I had theories, but I didn't think any of them were correct. And I think the fact that that's where what I think this John Heard character is, is what most people think it is, says to me, it will be something very different. Right. They'll keep us guessing.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm very interested, though. It's a good, um, because the other theory that I hear is like... And then we get a
1: regeneration before the end of the year. Right. With a new Doctor. A new Doctor,
0: yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I was sad to see Matt Smith going, but I didn't think... I thought he was great still in this series but I didn't think this series was fantastic so no I thought but maybe he's got he's got that world. character
1: down right. to a fine art now and I like I like what it's become uh, so it'll be it'll be tricky but then we all thought that about David Tennant and then Matt Smith came along and did an outstanding job so uh, it'll just be exciting when they announce it and we can all you know be there to see another one happen what about Rove McManus Doctor I'd do it you'd be a good doctor I'd fucking do it absolutely I would I would absolutely I would do it. I would I would be a companion begrudgingly. Right. But uh, Oh you've got a touch of
0: adric about you. are you could
1: <laughs> A whingy little gay maths student. Oh. You could, but you he could killed, be like who killed the dinosaurs too. Right, exactly. So Crashed his ship and killed killed the cybermen, but also killed the dinosaurs. Thanks yeah. a lot.
0: You could be like the gritty reboot. You could be Radric.
1: Radrick yeah. I'd like to be uh, I'd be uh, Jamie The second doctor's companion Who got about in the kilt All the time oh, yeah. I'd do that Or I'd be Perry yeah. And just grab Menorcs <laughs> Constantly grab Menorcs All day
0: If, if you were going to be The doctor What do you think you quirk? Like I mean They all have their Little quirks
1: <laughs> Yeah like I would uh, I think Tennant dresses The closest to what I would I'd like to dress uh-huh. It worries me Because what I wear On television Is almost exactly What Ellen wears <laughs> I saw a picture of her the other day and I was like oh I like that outfit I was like yeah because that's exactly what you wear sort of little suits rolled up sleeve sort of vest tie but sneakers oh and you're doing her bit dancing at the start of your gig oh my god (laughs) and I have a thing for Australian women uh oh you are Ellen (laughs) I would uh, I don't know I mean vegetables have been done scarves have been done uh, what cat badges uh, recorders Patrick Trouton had a recorder you know what, I'd go back to doing something, I'd be the jigging doctor, that would be me. John Pertwee was the karate chopping doctor, I'd be the jigging doctor, I'd just be jigging everywhere. Just jigging everywhere, through space, jigging through space. Think of how many aliens would get confused by that. We're going to blow this planet up, but before you do, and while they're confused, my companion goes around and clocks them foolproof
0: alright um, people hey, oh, say is that where people still find you
1: Husay uh, and uh, yes Rove on the Husay website or, uh, or of course on Twitter is probably the best as well to find me but, at, uh, at Rove at Rove indeed. Okay, that's easy and
0: uh, after Montreal what have you got uh, coming up I should mention uh, in regard to this podcast that um, I will be doing the uh, LA Podcast Festival which will be the first ever live faux-fop Um, So uh, there's some amazing shows on at the LA Podcast Festival, so um, uh, get tickets for that at lapodfest.com, I think, is the address for that. Um, Also, uh, by the time this comes out, I think my dates for Sydney, uh, for Perth, and for Canberra should be on sale. I'm only, I'm only doing a couple of shows in... Uh, each of the places so um just uh due to the election and some tv commitments so getting quick if you want tickets for those places that would be cool um or or, uh, remember to rate the show on itunes that's always um fantastic if you can do that as well and uh for american listeners uh hopefully i'm still coming to uh washington dc in a few weeks so um uh, check out my Twitter or my Facebook for details of my uh, Washington DC gigs. Uh, anything you want to plug, my friend? Uh,
1: mainly, uh, oh, yeah, I've got gigs around town here in LA, but again, if people follow me on Twitter, they'll be aware of them. Um, but uh, some Sydney gigs uh, between whenever you listen to this and the end of the year, I'm sure. Uh, but they will be announced. Uh, you, you'll, you'll know. There you go. <laughs> you'll know, people. <laughs> you'll know. You'll, you'll, yeah, yeah, you'll, find, know. It. you'll find it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ray. No problems.